0: Hello and welcome to this uh, Powering and Inclusive Future for All podcast sponsored by Cisco, a worldwide leader in IT and networking. Now, while the COVID-19 pandemic has spurred a digital transformation in South Africa, it has also highlighted how when communities lack access to technology, they can get left behind. In this discussion powered by Cisco, we reflect on why bridging this digital divide is not only about providing access to technology and internet connectivity. It's about the skills, development, and innovation. I'm Diwa Gavaza, business writer at The Business Day and Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for this very important conversation. Joining me today is Charmaine Huve, who serves as Government Affairs Director for Cisco Africa, and she's going to highlight what's needed to power an inclusive future for all and how companies can play an essential role in this God. greetings to you today.
1: Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: There is an interesting statement that comes out from some of the research that I believe Cisco has been doing and some of the work, and it's that technology has the power to create opportunities or deepen inequities. How do you see a statement like this actually applying to South Africa and its given context?
1: So it's a great extract because I think it's so appropriate just in terms of what we've experienced with the pandemic. And the deep inequalities showed up so sadly, especially in South Africa, and I think the continents as a whole, because I look after Africa for Cisco. And I think one of the things that we have seen is just how unprepared governments were, um, businesses were, and I think most importantly, how unprepared citizens were for this pandemic. And I think we saw in our statistics, we saw in our engagements online, we saw in our small medium, macro enterprises, we saw in a lot of our learners through our networking academy institutions that it was the citizens of most of these countries in the rural areas who struggled and who suffered through this pandemic because they did not have access to schooling, they did not have access to learning, They could not work as easily when it came to hybrid work or remote work opportunities. There was not the health, ease of access to health that was offered to them. So this clearly showed that, and I think it showed us and it showed many governments and it showed so many of us that there was a clear opportunity To introduce technology. And I think a basic example for us was we worked with the government, the health ministry, and we rolled out some of our Cisco trolleys in the Baraguanet Hospital. And this was at the height of level five lockdown, where doctors were unable to remote diagnose a lot of their patients. I think even in other parts where Cisco does operate, we introduced the concept because again, I think the challenge was at that point in time, doctors were not even aware about the extent of the pandemic. And there was this call for still being able to see patients, but remotely. And I think this is how the technology came in where doctors to remote diagnose. Our Cisco WebEx collab technology offerings exploded because for the first time we were offering these to government for free, offering them to remain connected. Again, you know, I think it's sad, but the reality is that This explosion of technology and the offerings and opportunities that it brought about was made possible because of the pandemic.
0: Now, with everything that you've just highlighted, Charmaine, it certainly does point to an issue where these inequities were sort of highlighted, you know, sort of brought to the fore even more. We are aware of what's going on, but something like the pandemic, like you said, shows where all of these things lie, particularly when it comes to access to technology and internet connectivity, which has for a long time been one of the biggest barriers in actually bridging the digital divide in South Africa. One only just needs to think about the data must fall campaign around data prices to see where all of this has been heading and what it's been about. But apart from those particular challenges, what are some of the other major challenges that you guys have actually identified out there in the ecosystem?
1: I think a very first and foremost one that comes to mind for me, and I've experienced it in our introduction of the various technologies and the various services and solutions and offerings um, to government and to citizens was the dire need for digital skills training and how this process needed to be accelerated i know that it's been making the rounds around jokes of you know how we operate on these platforms are you there can you hear me am i connected nothing from me etc but i do think that points to a much deeper societal issue in that i don't think that technology or digitization or, or how it could be used to improve social economic conditions in countries was ever taken seriously. So along comes this pandemic and suddenly there's this explosion of adoption of technology and digital acceleration. And suddenly we are at the forefront of this battle to start the whole education and awareness and training process from scratch. So I think that became so apparent that there is this dire need for societies to better understand how to use technology. We found that at least 90% of school-going children in the public schooling system were excluded from lots of opportunities. Um, They literally remained stuck two years back in terms of where they started with education. Big reasoning for this was Apart from the issues you mentioned around the high data fees, around the significant delays in Spectrum, it's been going on since 2016. I'm starting to see there's finally some relief because I published a paper a few days ago where they said they, they did receive some very good applications for um, the Spectrum auction. And hopefully that process is going to kick off now because Telcom has removed some of its litigation. They're now in communication with the ministry. Apart from that being an issue, because we do know that a lot of these organizations have been calling for years for Spectrum, I think a very big issue is just the lack in terms of digital skills acceleration. Another one is just in terms of the high costs with a lot of access to the, the a lot of these gadgets that we actually do require so it's actually, you know, I work a lot with NGOs, I support Girl Code, we Think Code, various other institutions who started to bring to fore what could be done and how we could start to train um, lots of young um, youth and women in the rural areas and a lot of them would, would midway in the middle of our training say, look, I've got to log off, somebody else needs the phone in my home or I cannot continue with the conversation, I've run out of data. And so I think another big challenge for many of us is how does the industry collaborate and how do we get together to set clearer policies to zero rate many of the educational sites that we know are relevant to education and that do impact many of our citizens who are extremely disadvantaged and don't have access to broadband. So I think in addition to that, there's so many other issues that are at the forefront of us just not stepping up when it comes to access to digitisation.
0: Now, there certainly are a myriad of issues uh, that uh, are affecting people, you know, like you said, the access, the number of devices and families, uh, connectivity, all of these different things are working against the most vulnerable. And often it's uh, corporate citizens, companies that are looked on to try and solve some of these issues. And it uh, tends to be done through corporate social responsibility, CSI, and other initiatives. But one might actually ask, you know, what place you know, if at all, do businesses actually have, is it really their responsibility uh, to be addressing some of these issues, me,
1: I think more than it being their business, I think often you find many organizations and I mean, l- let me talk about Cisco, for example. We knew that there is going to be a huge, I think, gap in terms of talent that we required moving forward. And we knew, and we see it now, there's a huge war. On talent in the ICT sectors. Every single MD or CEO that I speak to is struggling in terms of getting the right skills. And of course, again, that's a whole discussion on its own because just like the entire connectivity conversation, again, we know that many of these students, as they go through the um, basic education, higher education, many of them the TBED colleges route, many the academic route um, in the higher institution, many of them are not always work ready. And as Cisco, Our trust made a decision last year when we saw how difficult this war for talent was with the explosion of digital requirements and digital acceleration and the whole hybrid work issue, we then set out to partner with a number of universities to look at how we go into, again, these disadvantaged communities and bring the top performers into the academic sort of route. So we've looked at students who we know are passionate about ICT, who want to ensure um, that they have a future in the digital world. And they come from the missing middle sector, where nobody actually covers the university fees. And we've had a tremendous two years just in terms of taking some of these learners through academia. And we've partnered a lot of them with Cisco mentors who are able to also walk them through this process. Again, I think the clear criteria is that all these learners need is a passion for ICT. They don't necessarily need to come and work at Cisco. In fact, we're not offering to even take them up after they are done with their studies. In fact, many of them don't want to work for us. They either want to be entrepreneurs or they want to go and start their own business, go back into their rural communities, making backs there. A lot of them want to study us overseas. They want to go and look for futures elsewhere. We could have said from the offset, oh no, but we've paid for your four-year university degree so you owe your loyalties to Cisco. Again, I think like others, all we want to do is ensure that there is a clear tremendous value in terms of Putting these individuals back into the sector where they can again contribute to socioeconomic requirements. Because these are the people who are going to go and grow the economy. And I think ultimately businesses like us understand that through Networking Academy, Cisco's Networking Academy, through training of these individuals, through putting up edge centers to be able to grow and develop SMEs, they contribute to the economy. If the economy is healthy, we are then able to actually exist as an organization in the broader ecosystem of things. So I think that's really our thinking more than than trying to get out there to set a standard to say, you've got to come back. Everything needs to lead back to Cisco in the end.
0: Um, I think you bring up, you know, quite an interesting point there um, around uh – around, I won't call it uh, loyalties, but sort of feeling beholden to corporates that actually go out of their way to address some of these issues, like you said, about uh, the issue of studying uh, studying and working abroad as opposed to coming to work for Cisco because um, you've been part of one of their programs. And I think it lends itself uh, quite well uh, to this issue of the fact that CSR initiatives look impressive on business presentations, but sometimes the key stakeholders who are meant to actually benefit from them sometimes feel like uh, it's a tick box exercise. So now the question is about how do you ensure that those stakeholders don't feel like it's just a PR exercise and that companies are actually committed to the difference that they actually say they set about to address.
1: Spot on. And you know, I think again, I look at a program that we started about three or four years ago called the Cisco Women's Tech Connection. And all we did here, we just had a vision of inspiring women um, just to build or maintain fulfilling careers in technology engineering. And when we work with many of our partners, because as you know, we are partner led. So a lot of our partners, we collaborate and we partner very closely with various of the partners within the industry. And we actually looked at Their sort of talent, and we started to realize that there is a gap, and 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 diversity and inclusion. Is a huge topic globally and we wanted to ensure that we didn't always work with people who looked like us or who spoke like us who were after the same goals and visions and objectives that we did again I think the big ask for us always is and I think it's, it's a very difficult I think conversation to have because initially you are right a lot of our shareholders came back saying but hang on like we're taking a lot of our talent our key network engineering talent and we're sharing it with some, some of the companies were not only partners in some instances, they're also competitors. How does that then serve us better? And I think for us, the whole discussion still goes around. How do we create a healthy, robust um, telecommunications environment? And I think the challenge is often as organizations, we look to government to set the scene. And I think in this instance, we turn it around saying, how about we become the leader in terms of how we lead and manage diversity and inclusion? How do we set the standards for the type of individual that we want to actually employ, or that we want to see employed with our partners? And again, it was a very easy discussion for us to have with partners and include them in the Cisco Women Tech Connection discussion. And then we've gone into partners and we run these workshops from Cisco offices, weekends, days, nights, And last year, we had our first graduation of cohort one, where these women, again, they're not looking to come to Cisco. They are very clear. But when they end up in our partner ecosystems, they understand and realize the quality of our technology better. They understand the robustness of our networking equipment. They understand the importance of safe, reliable, secure networking systems. And then I think they understand that cybersecurity is a big issue. They need to stay safe online. And I think with those fundamentals that they impart, we impart upon them during the training, the mentoring, the internships, I think that solves the bigger problem. I think for shareholders and investors that the bigger picture is being painted And it doesn't always mean somebody has to work for you to live your brand, to live your brand ethos, and to talk about your organization. It's always better when it's the networking academy students who talk about the impact that Cisco has had on their lives and how it's easier for them to find jobs. It's the women in tech connections, women who talk about the networks that they've made and how incredible um, it was to work on different solutions and to understand the different technologies and how they contribute to the organisations within their work, how it's much more easier to have conversations with government, understanding how to stay safe online and how to actually ensure connectivity. So I think it's those conversations that we always look forward to is having ambassadors out in the market who would talk about us rather than us always talking about ourselves.
0: Quite an interesting principle, you know, having uh, the people and the stakeholders being the evangelists out there in the world. Uh, But sort of following on from there, Charmaine, Cisco launched an, an, uh, an ongoing program uh, to actually help accelerate some of this digitization um, in South Africa, a lot of the things that you've already spoken about just before COVID hit. Has the COVID uh, pandemic actually hindered this program's success or has it presented new opportunities for Cisco to make the difference uh, that uh, the company has set out to make?
1: I must say, I think we've been quite fortunate. I think, like most companies who are in the digital sort of environment, I think. Again, there's that joke that's doing the circles, that it's not the CIO or the CEO the COO or the CTO who actually accelerated digital uptake. It's actually COVID. And that is absolutely so true because we saw even with the rollout of our Cisco Edge Centers, which is part of our Cisco Country Digital Acceleration Program, where we actually committed to support the digitization of South Africa in a memorandum of understanding with the ICT ministry. A lot of those centers have been so successful just in terms of developing, incubating, providing access to market for a lot of our SMEs and for a lot of our entrepreneurs. In fact, we've had some very solid partners come out of those programs, partners who entered the incubation and the training program with barely any clients. And today, Makwa IT is one of our gold Cisco partners who are even taking business away from some of our major, major partners. Because simply, again, you know, the youth are hungry. They're excited about technology. They look at it in a different angle. They know how to actually collaborate better and partner better. And they they want to go out and make this big difference. So I think that's been very successful for us, just in terms of the enablement that has come out from these different edge centers. Again, I think these SMEs are so much better than the big corporates in terms of collaborating and saying, this is my solution. What is yours? How do we partner better to take it out into the market? They're intrigued by the 4 IR technologies. They're so excited about what this offers. So that has been a big plus for us. Something new that came up for up us as well during lockdown was conversations we had with government around how do we digitize a lot of The libraries, a lot of these libraries are standing there, they have broadband connectivity. In fact, a lot of government sites already have access to broadband connectivity. They already have a lot of devices and equipment and technology in these sites. We then um, found out from the national libraries how do we partner to turn these into digital centers where we digitize some of the South African libraries. And our first launch was actually in the Johannesburg Germiston offices. And slowly we're going to start to roll these out to other centers. But we're very clear. We don't, again, you know, I think where we've been very clear is that it cannot be a Cisco program because we don't want to own these. Again, we're asking government that in the national development plan, you have very clear goals and outlines in terms of how you grow SMMEs, how you develop them and how you enable them to contribute to the economy. So government, let's talk. Where where do you want these centers to be? Why do you want them there? What do they offer the communities? How will these communities grow and expand and better? because they have these edge centers or digital libraries that are connected to them. So we, I've, I've been going backwards and forwards with the country digital acceleration team and governments, just trying to ensure that we have them involved as much as possible. Because again, we don't want this to be a Cisco program. We want it to be a partner-led program with our governments, with our other partners, to ensure that, again, the community owns these centers it's not something we put up as a white elephant. I think that's always our biggest concern, is that we put up these centres and then they just remain unused. And fortunately, that's not been the case for us because of the in need again and the gaps that we find just as a whole in the ICT sector.
0: It certainly is the case. And uh, I like the fact that you you bring out the example of uh, Marco IT. I've interacted with their CEO before, and one can attest to the fact that, uh, you know, when you do give opportunity to people that are smart and hungry out there and people that do can do the work, it does go, you know, quite a long way. Fast-growing company, and with the right amount of support, they've really been able to do quite a lot out in the market. So as we end off the conversation, Charmaine, I wanted us to maybe switch gears a little bit um, around the issue of hybrid work. It's something that's really become um, somewhat of a buzz term, but the reality of the current situation because uh, digital transformation does require an inclusive hybrid work environment that includes uh, the technologies and the culture of well-being. So on that front, how has Cisco sustainability efforts actually been merged into this to ensure a successful hybrid work environment?
1: Again, now I think we were very fortunate. Since the beginning of lockdown, we literally overnight had to transition seventy-five thousand workers and allow them to work remotely um, through our collaboration technology. So I think for us it was a very, very easy, simple, literally like a click. Um, of a button, and simply a lot of our tools are actually you know voice activated, so when you come into a room we have the right technology and settings and built up and algorithms that and know that there should be three people in the room and there are six, and automatically the meeting doesn't start because there's too many of us in the room we have a lot of our um, devices that come with sensors, so when I'm in the room it automatically lights up and alerts me that somebody's in a waiting room for me, they need to speak to me, because I think we understood at the beginning of the lockdown that we don't know how much longer we're going to continue to live and operate in a hybrid world, but we prepared for it. We didn't know what was coming, but we knew that at some point in time, virtually every single interaction has to have some sort of a hybrid type approach, and we embraced it. We also started to look at a lot of our technology where we started to look at how do we allow for a better experience that is literally like it actually equates to an in-person interaction. And then we launched the WebEx Suite 10 Times tool where it actually allows very seamless work-at-home experiences just in terms of ensuring that we give employees, I think, great autonomy by providing these spaces and technology that they actually need to thrive. I mean, we saw just like getting onto the call and connecting and trying to hear each other. I think apart from all of the mental awareness challenges that we've been facing as individuals during the lockdown, the last thing that we wanted for employees was them to actually struggle with a seamless remote and on-site experience. And so we actually focus a lot of our energy and investment on the resources that we thought employees needed and wanted the most. And I think we've also realized as leaders within Cisco that mental health still remains a high priority for us. We listen to our people. We continue to create a workplace where they feel heard and supported. An amazing initiative that we have come up with is a day for me. So this is literally a day that's given to us Um, at certain periods throughout the year where you log off from all your amazing Cisco WebEx technology and you just take a day for you. You don't answer any calls, you don't open emails regardless of how many priorities you have this day. It's just an opportunity for you to breathe, take time out, center yourself, connect with family, go for a run, go for a hike, do whatever you want to do. And I think that talks to the true sort of culture of hybrid and how we are trying our best just to ensure, Mudiba that our employees have this sort of seamless experience of working from home. And those who can get into the office, again, they shouldn't feel that disconnection that you at home, I mean, the office, our entire collaboration experience just makes that interaction so seamless.
0: So that's been us. We're talking to uh, Charmaine Houve, who is uh, the Government Affairs Director over at uh, Cisco Africa, giving us some insight into some of the work that's actually being done to address some of the issues in society and how technology can actually help to bridge the so-called digital divide that is there. Charmaine was highlighting the fact that uh, COVID-19 really did bring to the fore uh, a lot of the inequities that we do have in our society a lot of that driven by the fact that there's so much inequality which also then spells itself out in the opportunities that people had to continue working to continue learning during the COVID-19 pandemic and the place of uh, corporates like Cisco to actually help to address uh, some of these issues and actually make sure that it's not just a tick box exercise but something that actually brings in a lot of change a lot of transformation both within the society but also within the company itself highlighting some of the initiatives that they've been uh, taking on internally when it comes to things like hybrid work the mental health of uh, some of the workers and just making sure that everyone is taken care of one of the key things that uh, you know she does uh, talk about is the fact that uh, digitization is here to stay and it's not just something that uh, is a fad it's here to stay and everyone really does need to do their part to take the society and the economy forward so that's been it for this uh, powering and inclusive uh, future for all podcasts sponsored by cisco i've been your host uh, Kawaza, a writer for the business day and a financial mail remember that you can subscribe for free on iono.fm spotify player.fm pocket cost or wherever you choose to get your pods costed